as you think about God's grace, God's grace really speaks about that we get much better than we deserve. And uh, John, is, uh, as he shared in his, his story, his testimony this morning, is that he's experienced that because God's goodness and God's love reached out to him. And then John surrendered his life to Christ, and, and uh, God made dramatic changes. And so that, that's the hope that we have for anyone who responds uh, to God's message of love. Uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we just uh, thank you for just hearing about again how you, you, uh, you make people who are far from you uh, transform. And Father, whether it begins at an early age and then has to be culminated later on in life and, and, uh, and, and you get our attention by, by rallying our cage in terms of whether it be our business or whether it be our place of employment, our family, or our health, that you desire for us to, to look to you rather than to ourselves. And Father, we pray as we uh, look in your word this morning that we might recognize that that, that life that you promise us is, is awesome, but it's, it's not necessarily easy. That you might speak into our lives this morning in terms of what it means to really live fully and faithfully for you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. So we'll be kind of camping there. Uh, much of the passage is in your outline this morning, but we'll look, be looking at some other passages as well. But as we think about uh, what, what God has already said to us uh, in his word, um, particularly as it means what it means to be a follower of Christ, it, it's amazing just how awesome God is. And we've heard that from John this morning as you, as you think the blessings God has brought into his life. And as we think about that, sometimes we, we get caught up in thinking, well, if it's so awesome, then why is it so hard so often? And, and that's because we need to realize that though God has offered us in so many different ways, the life that can only be experienced through him and way beyond that we could even imagine, whether it's through his promise in John fifteen eleven, where Jesus said, I, I write these things to you so that you may have joy. And not just joy, but you might have my joy. And my joy is a full joy. And that's, that's what God just offers us through his son. Who wouldn't want a life filled with God's presence that produces a joy from within? Or in the midst of challenge, he says, I want you to understand that I, that I give you peace, but not just the peace that the world gives, but I, I give you that peace that, that passes understanding. Now, not like the world gives, not in the midst of everything going right, but everything going wrong. That you'll still experience my presence, which produces that assurance that God is in control, his peace. Or, or as, you, as you think about uh, just, just being tired, just being overwhelmed by, by life, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. We're all aware that God has promised us that, that we'll have quantity of life when we respond to his message of, of uh, redemption through his, through his son as we embrace what Jesus did on the cross and, and take his penalty for, that he paid for our sins and, and make that part of who we are. Uh, but he also gives us not only quantity of life, life that will always be in his presence, and that begins now, and then we'll just change locations. We'll be with him uh, in our spirit and physically. It is that he also promises quality of life. Jesus said, I came not to, to, um, uh, to like the enemy, to kill and destroy, but I came to give you life and life more abundantly. But as, but as much as that is in terms of promise, we need to understand that that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's going to be a struggle. And so Paul, as he, as he ends this letter, talking about, again, all, all that we are in Christ, all that Christ has done for us, and then, then all we are supposed to be for Christ because in, in light of who he is and what he's done for us, he, he ends his message with a challenge for us to, to recognize, even though it's awesome, it will not be easy. 
And so if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to look at um, God's call for us to, to live out the game of life that he has placed us in, but we're to play to win. Someone has said about the Christian life, that we need to understand that Christian life is not so much a playground, but a battleground. In a battleground, we're not just participating. Right, right now, if you go to, um, our kids went through all kinds of different sports, and there became a period of time starting kind of in the late 80s into the 90s, and it's probably continued now, that everyone gets a trophy. Have you ever been to one of those uh, awards night? Everyone gets a trophy. In fact, they don't even like to keep score at games. They don't like to put standings. Everybody wins. Now, I think there's a place for participation, but there's a place that, that we compete in, in the contest so that we learn that there's a winner and a loser. Now, it, it's all right to lose at, at, at some ball game out there, but if you were in a war, if you were in a battle, you were in a fight, you'd want to win it because there's consequences, results from losing. And, and so the Christian life is, is much more than a playground. It's, it's a battleground. And, and so we need to face that. And as we think about God's call for us collectively as a church uh, to, to live in such a way that people can see Christ in us, then individually as we live our lives that Christ can be seen in us, and as we think about our homes, we, we orient our homes in such a way that people can see Christ in our home, and as we think about where we work and how we work, uh, that we ought to work in such a way that people can see Christ in us, and that's whether you're retired or whether you're getting a paycheck, is that where you live, you ought to live in such a way that Christ can be seen in you. Well, how does that happen? Is that, does that happen easily? And, and the answer is no. So, so Paul begins to land the plane of his letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus and begins to speak into them his final words of exhortations to live it out. And he begins with the word finally. Now, you all know when a preacher says finally or in conclusion, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing, right? Now, they're going to go on and they're going to go on and go on. Some of you are a little bit too quick with the answer to that, all right? <laughs> Is that Paul does that. He says, uh, you know, finally, and then he goes on for 15 more verses, all right, and brings up a lot of different things, okay? But what he, what he wants to do is he wants to challenge them with one last push that that they need to live it out, but it will not be easy. And so this morning, we're kind of going to begin this section, and, and then we'll look at some more specifics next uh, Lord's Day, and we will finish Ephesians before we, we start our Easter season and, and then as we uh, start a new series. But he, he speaks into their lives about playing to win. And the first thing he says is something he has already said before. And if you notice, preachers do that. They, they have a tendency to repeat themselves. And sometimes they repeat themselves because they're convinced you didn't get it the first time or the second time or the third time. So, so Paul says it again. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I'm sure as they read that or it was read to them, they're thinking, I, I think I heard this before. Even in this letter, I think I've heard you say that. Well, why does he say it again? Because they were still struggling to put it into practice. I, I put it this way in your outline. Well, how, how do you play to win? Uh, you do it by doing some things, and we're going to have three do's and one don't this morning. Do plug into your source of power. Do plug into your source of power. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. You can't live it out on your own. And so Paul says as you go into the, the life around you, you you've got to go in with much more than just your own resources. Have you noticed that things don't work unless they're plugged in? Um, I have a toaster in my house, and, and sometimes people will 
it's usually out on a counter, and people get toast, and maybe I'll come in a little bit later, and I'll put the, the bagel in there or the piece of bread, and I'll push the thing down, and it pops right up. I'm thinking, what's the problem with this? And I'll put it down, and it'll pop right up. I'll put it down, and it'll pop right up. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with this toaster? You know, I'm looking around, moving around, and then all of a sudden I, I recognize the cord is what? It's not plugged in. When I was younger, you, you know, the, it would still go down. It just wouldn't flame up. You know, it wouldn't the little coils. But now, they, you know, and I'm thinking, why don't I get that? Why don't I get that? When it doesn't work the first time, maybe I ought to ch- uh, check to see if it's plugged in. Uh, I, I'm the least electronic person in our office, and so usually when something goes wrong with my computer or something's not functioning right, I, I, I run to somebody and ask them, why, why is it not working? Why, why, is it not, why is it not functioning like I want it to function? But after a while, I get a little bit embarrassed by that, so I, I try to fix it on my own. And so I'm, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm pushing everything to figure out why, why is the screen not coming up? And so I'll push some buttons and put some things, and then I'll, I even go into, I'll go and I'll, I'll see if the power on the, on the whatever you call that. Okay, I, I push that and it doesn't light up, and I think, well, why is it not lighting up? And then I recognize, and you think I, I checked this first because where my desk is. And my chair is, it's right next to where the core goes in to plug on a floor uh, electrical, uh, what do you call that, socket, okay? And, and often I'll just kick it off. And here I'm trying to fix something that's simply not plugged in. And so often this is where we mess up. We are, we are looking at life um, from our own resources and we will fall so short. And this is a familiar theme throughout Scripture. You know, Zechariah 4.6, we, we had as a reference point in a couple of messages in the past, where, where the prophet says it's not by might, and it really it means you're not by human might, nor by human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And, and we're going to reemphasize that in the, ser- in the, base, the sermon-based Bible study this week, that we, we need to rely upon our strength. Uh, Paul put in his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, he says this, praying that the Father um, to whom, through whom and to whom we should all bow our knees, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, which means God has ample supply for what he needs to give you, to be strengthened with might through where? His spirit in the inner man. So as you begin to run dry in your Christian life, you need to run to him to depend upon him and even as you run to him it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be easy in second Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 and we're going to see the image that paul gives here in terms of looking at okay now as you rely upon him what make what do you need to make sure you have done to make sure you're relying upon him he says he says to the church uh, that that timothy pastored which is very interesting he pastored the church at ephesus and so he talked to the pastor. He says, you've got to get this first if, you're gonna, if your people are going get, to get it. He says, you need to endure or suffer hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so as we rely upon his power, it does not necessarily mean it's going to be easy. But we know where our source of strength comes from. So number one, if you play to win, make sure you plug in to your source of power. Secondly, and here's where he gets pretty specific, he says, as you go into the battleground, you're going to have an opponent, you're going to have an enemy, whether you look at it from an athletic perspective or a military perspective. And as you go into into battle, you need to do two things. Don't underestimate or overestimate your opponent. Now, why is that so critical? 
Because if you underestimate your opponent, that you'll, you'll go into that game thinking, well, I've got it won already. And if, you, if you're at all a sports fan, you know, they're, right now the biggest sport, at least in the media, is the March Madness. And you'll have some p- teams that were rated number one and then rated very much lower than them. And some of the lower rated teams beat the teams that were higher rated. Now, there, there's a variety of reasons why that happened, but some of it happens because when a number one team plays a number 16 team, they think that's going to be easy to what? To win. And if you don't play your all, you're going to probably beat by, be beat by someone who has less than you have, but they're playing it with all that they have. And so we never underestimate our opponent. But on the other end, some teams are defeated before the game even started. Have you noticed that? I mean, they're, they're thinking, there's no way we can beat them. I mean, they're just bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced. They're higher rated than we are, so why even, why even really try? And so as we think about the battleground that we play on in terms of the game God has called us to play, and, he, and Paul in the passage we're going to look at, he uses two, again, two metaphors. He uses the military uh, metaphor, but he also used the athletic me- metaphor, is that we don't want to underestimate or overestimate our opponent or our enemy. So here's what Paul says right after he says finally. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So he identifies who our enemy is. The enemy is the devil. And then he goes on and says the devil has some people on his team. For we do not wrestle against, and here's that athletic metaphor, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not just a human enemy we have. And sometimes we, we think it's the people around us that are attacking us. Uh, we, we get discouraged by people who, who don't care about us or people who, who stab us in the back or people that um, spread gossip about us or people who just discourage us. They're always negative and we live within a negative environment and we just can't seem to move on from that, whatever it might be. So it's not just the human dilemma that you are facing. It's much beyond what you can imagine. He said, but against the principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Have you ever had someone tell you, you know, if we're a Christian, we have an invisible means of support? I mean, you know, the, the God that we cannot see physically is with, living within us, and so we have his power, which is plugging into that power. But just like we have an invisible means of support, we have an invisible means of attack, which is the enemy. Now, there are some who, who take that invisible means of attack and try to put the sight to it. And let's be honest, we're not going to always see, in fact, we'll probably rarely or if ever see the, the unseen spiritual beings that are attacking us, but they are attacking us. And so we need to be prepared for that. And as we think about that, the, the, the head leader of this demonic world is the fallen angel, Satan. Now, Satan is, uh, or the devil, those are the two words used most commonly to designate um, the, the, the prime fallen angel. Uh, Satan is used 52 times, and that, that word, that title, um, nickname, or whatever you want to call it, he's called Lucifer in the Old Testament, it, is, uh, it really means adversary. He's your enemy. He's trying to defeat you. The, the word devil really has the idea he is... He is your, uh, he's a slanderer. He, he's trying to, to defame you. 
In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, 9, it says he's the accuser of the brethren. So he's going around to make you believe and then feel worthless as being unable to, to win at the game of life. That, that's, it's only for the super saints to actually live the, what's called the victorious Christian life, that which basically means being faithful and fervent and doing the things God wants you to do. And when that happens, you have now overestimated your enemy, where you feel that you're defeated because you're facing a much greater foe than yourself. And that would be true if you're facing it without the strength that is within you, the Spirit of God. And so as we think about this, this enemy, he has, he has some powerful things about him. In Matthew chapter 4, 3, he's known as the tempter. In John eight forty four, he's known as both a murderer and a liar. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he is, the, he is a roaring lion. In Galatians 3, 1, I mean Genesis 3, 1, he's known as a servant, serpent or snake. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, he is the God of this age. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, which is interesting, it says that he is, uh, he is an angel of light. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13 through 15 says he's the angel of light. Many, many people think he's an angel of darkness, but we need to understand that the evil one will take good things and distract you from the best things in life. And what Paul tells them is for you to be able to deal with that, you gotta, you've got to be prepared. In fact, this is simply what I want to say about this past. Don't underestimate or overestimate your opponent, but be, but be prepared to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, we don't use the word wiles very often unless you're talking about the wily coyote. Remember that old cartoon? Okay. Um, some, some translations say the schemes of the devil. It, it talks about in, uh, I think, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that we should not be unaware of the, the schemes of the devil so that we might not fall. The, the word there, schemes or wiles, it comes from a Greek word, which methodia, from which we get methods. There is a method to his madness to try to trip us up. And we need to, to be on guard that he does not win that battle against us. And basically, we're going to look at some of the things we have going for us. But don't underestimate. He, he is seeking to devour. First Peter chapter 5, 8 calls him a roaring lion. But we ought to be on the alert so that we will not be tripped up by him. In First John five nineteen, it calls him... Uh, the God of this age, or he is the, uh, or the world, even more specifically, he it, he is the one in which the world lies under his sway. And so, when the world goes, is you know, often we just are, go, go, just are so bothered by this. When the world is really literally going to hell, as we think about it, it's because they're following this one who has so much influence on it. He is a foe to be respected, but not to be feared. And that's because in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it said that, that he who went, to the, who went to death for us did it for the purpose of bringing death to the one who used to be the author of death. That, that, that the evil one is a defeated foe. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, which is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, it says that you are of God and have overcome because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so as we, as we face the discouragements and the, and the things that, that so tempt us to follow after another path and, and feel that we are helpless, and often that's what happens with people who say, I, I just can't help myself. 
And that's true if you just leave it there. But you can say, but with God, I can overcome because he who is in me is greater than he who is in this world. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, it simply says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so it's simply putting this way. As we think about the battle, the battleground of life, that we face a defeated foe, and that when we are living plugged into the source of power, he has to run from us. Now, it doesn't mean that the struggle will not be um, simple. Uh, it doesn't mean that the struggle won't be uh, almost overwhelming and hard, but, but that we will win in the battle of life, that he makes us overcomers. I, I just came back from a, a one-day seminar at, at Saddleback in which they were talking about a mental health in the church. And, and you look at the various things that people face in life, and, and we, we are seeing that in demonstrative ways now within our culture. And, and I have a number of family members that are, have, have been diagnosed with various labels related to mental health. And, and, and whether it be the struggle between being manic and depressive or bipolar or even personality disorders or whether it be the onslaught of dementia or Alzheimer's, the, the mind doesn't function well. And, and what the enemy tries to do is, one, is put a stigma on, on, on people who are struggling that and feel somehow you are less than other people who struggle with other things. And see, again, that's, that's what Satan does. He, he, he doesn't have to do something that we, which I never go see, but, you know, you see the, the trailers for him. I, you know, why would anybody want to go to a horror picture? I mean, where you're seeing all the wild things that Satan might be doing, spinning people's heads around or floating in the air. And I, I, I've got some questions about some of that stuff anyway. But, but be it as it may, what, what God commonly does I mean, what Satan commonly does is, is make people feel worthless or insignificant or they have nothing to offer or, or something, somehow there's some, something um, wrong with them in terms of their relationship with him because they're not functioning like they used to function. Many of you know my, my dad is you know, struggling with you know, dementia, some form of that. And, and the most common thing he says to me, he says, I, I just, I'm just not... I just have nothing to offer anymore. I'm not important. What am I here for? And so constantly I'm, I'm trying to assure him that he matters. And then, and then even assisting him in, in participating in things that he can, he can feel that he's contributing. He can't contribute with his gifts and talents of the past, but he can do things now, and it matters. But it's not only a mental battle he's going through, but it's a spiritual battle because he feels that he's, he's just not important. You know, and so he, he faces that challenge and, and attacked in an invisible way. I don't know, how, can, how can I root that out of him? The only way is when he, he thinks about what God has done for him rather than what he's facing. Uh, yesterday, he collapsed, and um, he thought he had a stroke or a seizure, and 
And I saw him before the service uh, this morning, and, and now they're wondering, is there something wrong with his heart? You know, and, and usually it's, it's much easier to wrap your minds around a physical challenge. You, know, you pray for a physical healing, but when it's a mental area, you're, you're, you're wondering, how do you put that within the challenge of life? But, but however we're attacked, we need to recognize the only source of significance and purpose and meaning and victory is to recognize that there is an enemy trying to attack us, but there's power in knowing who you are in Christ and tapping in onto the living strength that Christ gives us. We need to play to win, which means, again, we need to plug, be plugged into the power source. And second, realize that we, we have enemies and have an enemy that tries to derail us. And we don't want to underestimate him. He, he is a powerful enemy, but don't overestimate him. We, we win in the end, and we can win now. But then Paul says, okay, I, 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 I got I to remind you. So remember we mentioned earlier that sometimes pastors repeat themselves? So, so he says in the next verse, he goes, uh, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And, and they're thinking, you just said this. Uh, and then he says again that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand. And, and the whole idea of standing, it, again, he talked about wrestling against the, the unseen forces. The, the word stand there has, has the idea of, of a wrestler being in an athletic ready position to take the first move, thrust of him by the one trying to throw him to the mat. He said, I want you to understand that the first, the first step is being simply ready for the onslaught of discouragement or despair or depression that you might not fully escape the feelings of that, but the message is not a true message. Because you're depressed doesn't mean you are worthless or that you, you will never, or what you're battling, you can't overcome. You might experience the struggle of that, but in the midst of struggle, there's victory. But he says you need to put on the whole armor of God. And, and that's so crucial, isn't it? And, and so what he does, he, he, picks, he picks an analogy which they would relate to. He says, I, I want you to think that you're going to... Just look at the Roman soldiers. You know, they don't go into battle and, you know, with half their armor on. They, they put all of it on. Because they don't want it to be attacked in a place that's not prepared to take the thrust of a, of a spear or the shot of an arrow or the, the lunge of a sword. They said, you got to put it all on. Now, there'll be a test after this series because we're going to go through every piece of the armor. But you, but you say, well, yeah, but I can't remember all the pieces. So l- let me give you the, the one answer that covers it all because Paul put it this way. Look at Romans 12, 13, 12, and 13, 14. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast out the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So, you know, what, what is the armor, the full armor? It's, it's, it's an armor that has a manifestation of the light of life. And who is the light of life? Jesus. And so in verse 14, he, said, he puts, puts it this way. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then our part, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The whole armor of God is simply putting on all of Jesus in your life. And each piece of that armor is that which God gives us in him and calls us to live by following his example that he's given us to live. 
And so, so as we think about the battleground that we're facing, number one, always be plugged in the source of power. Secondly, always recognize that we have an enemy that needs to be, be un, not underestimated or overestimated. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, a powerful foe, but he's one that we can win and beat. And then thirdly, we can't go in half-heartedly. We have to put on the whole armor. And so then Paul begins, he says, okay, let me get very specific with you. And this is what we'll end with this morning. Do be prepared, first of all, with the truth. And he simply says this as he begins the description of the armor. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now that, that day he used the Roman soldier analogy because he was chained to a soldier. So he was probably looking at this as he was writing this or having someone recorded. He was writing by inspiration of the Spirit. He recognized that all of them had seen Roman soldiers, so used as an analogy. If he was talking today, he might have talked about, hey, put on the whole, uh, the whole equipment if you're a football player. You've got to put the helmet on. You've got to put the pads on. You've got to put everything else on. If he was talking to, to policemen, he said, okay, you know that SWAT team? You know, they, they have all that garb on, you know, because they're going into a battle. If it was talking to a policeman, I mean, a fireman, maybe all the things they take when they go into a fire, he would have used it a variety of different ways to say, look at those who are facing a battle, whether it's fire or gunshot, uh, gunfire, they, 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 they're prepared for that. If you're going on the, on the football field, you want to make sure that not only your head is covered, but your shoulders and everything else. But he uses the, the analogy of the soldier because they're familiar with it. And also culturally, they, they can connect with that. He said, make sure that you have on, you're girded your waist with truth. And some of your translations will say, make sure you got your belt on, okay? Now, basically what women, men wore in those days, they wore dresses, okay? You know, they, they basically wore these togas or whatever it might be. And so maybe they cut a hole in, into the sheet or the, the, the blanket or whatever and put their head through it. And then it was kind of a flowing type of garment. And, and it, you couldn't function very well with that unless you put on a a belt because it was going everywhere in the wind and so they, they cannot move freely so you make sure you got your belt on i was telling the first uh, services you know it's interesting what happens culturally is that um you know nowadays if you look at uh, guys that they, they wear the skinny jeans have you ever seen that they got the skinny jeans on you know uh, well when my uh, my uh, my oldest son was in high school it, it was the exact opposite Okay, it wasn't skinny jeans, it was big jeans. Okay, my, my uh, oldest son about, weighs about 150 pounds, um, and he, he wore, his waist was probably 28, and he wore a size 38. Okay, it was like, you know, it was, just, it was the funniest looking thing you could ever see, all right? So, you know, with him, if, if he went to school without a belt on, his pants wouldn't what? Wouldn't, they'd fall, they wouldn't stay up. So, so he had to wear a belt. Okay, don't forget your belt, I mean... He, he knew to wear a belt because he'd be holding, you know, his pants all day like this, right? So he had to wear a belt. And, and basically he's saying, look, look, you go into battle, make sure you got your belt on. Because you, you're not ready for anything if you can't keep your pants up or keep your toga on or whatever it might be. And so he's saying, look, as we begin the day, we got we to begin the day prepared. And then he says, okay, what you need to be prepared with is truth. And just real quickly, there's two ways to look at all the pieces of armor here. Uh, and I put it this way, positionally and practically. Or you put it another way, what God has done for you, now in light of what God has done for you, what you ought to do. What has God done for you positionally? He has given you the truth. In a personified way, Jesus said, I am the way, the, the truth. And so 
as God's people, we need to remind, oh yeah, I'm a person of truth because I have the truth living with me. That's who I am. I am a person of the truth because the truth is in me. And then to be reminded that the truth is always emphasized in the gospel. In, in Jesus' real prayer in John 17, the, it, the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6 is really a disciple's prayer that Jesus gave them. In John 17, we have the record of Jesus praying for us. And he said that sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. So what has God given us? He's given us the person of truth in his son Jesus. And he's given us his truth in the words of Jesus. As well as the words of the scriptures. They are truth. And in case we forget how powerful that truth is. In John chapter 8 he says, I just want you to know if you abide in my word. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you what? Free. So this is what we have in Christ. Independent of what we do. The, the word of God is always true whether we believe it or not. It is the truth. Jesus is always the truth whether we believe it or not. The truth will always set us free, but we need to know it, but it will always set us free. So that's who we have in Christ. And so put on that belt. Today I'm in the truth because I have the truth in me. And then, then positionally, of course, is if you are identified with truth and you have the truth, then tell the yeah, it wasn't a trick question, right? Yeah. Tell the truth. In Ephesians 4, 15, he says, uh, speak the truth in love. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Just be people of the truth. You know, once people can't trust you because you don't tell the truth, you've just about lost everything, haven't you? There's no basis for relationship. There's no basis really for communication. There's no basis for knowing what's going on because... Are you telling me the truth now or are you not telling me the truth now? So as we think about the battle we're in, and finally Paul says, I want you to win this battle. Let me remind you, plug it in the source of power. It's got to be God working his life out in you in the inner man. This is not a self-help program. This is the living God living within you, living his life out through your earth suit, your body. Number two, Recognize that we are in a battleground. We have an enemy. Don't underestimate him. Don't overestimate him. Thirdly, realize that as you go through life, you can't just play at this. You've, you, you've got to give all of it. You've got to put the whole armor on it. You've got to put all the Lord Jesus on your life. And maybe let me put it this way. It'd be like, say, okay, God, you can, have, you can have my hands, but you can't have my feet. Okay? You, 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 can have, you can have my heart, but you can't have my mind. And, and you see what the problem would be with that? Okay, emotionally, I'll, I'll love you, but I'm going to let my mind go wherever it wants to go. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to use my hands for you, but my feet are going to go a different direction. It's, you've got to put Jesus in every part of your life. And then very specifically, he said, okay, and here are the things that need to mark you. You need to be a person who has the truth and lives out the truth. That you're genuine, you're trustworthy, because Jesus is genuine and he's trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, we, we want, we want to, to be ready for the battle. It is a battle. But it's a battle that has been won and can be won because the war's been won. Father, this week, help us to be people who speak the truth to others. Help us to be people who live out the truth. And when we mess up, because at times we will, might we admit when we mess up. When somehow we, 
we didn't tell the truth or we didn't live out the truth. And then help us be people, point people to the truth. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close this morning, let's stand as we sing.